Lord, as we prepare to receive your word today, we do so with open hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you are very present with us today. Lord, thank you that you have words of life to bring to us. There is nowhere else we can turn. As the disciples said when you said, are you two going to leave me? They replied and said, well, who else has the words of eternal life? So, Lord, we come to you to receive eternal life today. Lord Jesus, to receive that word which you have for this hour, for this time. With thanksgiving, we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever read anything in this book? All right. Have, have you, like, really read it? Have you? Have you seen what's in here? It's incredible. What I love about this book is that it's so real. You know, there's no veneer, there's no, you know, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, great spiritual writings, you know, that, that have come down through the years and other traditions and things like that. Most of the, uh, what you'd call the unseemly parts have been edited out. And so what you generally have is sort of a series of nice sayings of, you know, wise words and things like that. But, but this book lets it all hang out. Have you read the book of Genesis? Have you seen what's in there? You read, I just invite you to read some, like from about Genesis 29 to Genesis 37. Just read a little bit of that story. You think the stories that are on TV today are shocking? You know, they didn't just spring up out of nothing. I mean... There's, human nature is human nature, and it's been from the beginning of recorded history. And if you read Genesis 29 to 36, you get a picture of selfishness and conflicts and favoritism and jealousy and hatred and revenge and lust and rape and incest and deceit and even mass murder. Right there in those few chapters. And those few chapters are giving us some of the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, who, who are, you know, the God of. Remember in the Old Testament it always talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So these are the patriarchs, these are the, the foundation. You remember some of the story, Isaiah, Abraham marrying Sarah, and in their old age giving birth to his son Isaac, who ends up marrying Rebecca when she's 40 years old, and ultimately she has twins. Who are her twins that Rebecca has? Jacob and Esau. And right at the very beginning of Jacob and Esau, I mean, right from in the womb, there's rivalry. In fact, as Esau is coming out of the womb, Jacob is hanging on to his heel. 
And Rebecca, of course, who loves Jacob, does all of this, you know, maneuvering and machinations in order for Jacob to get the birthright that was Esau's by right as the oldest child, but and thus begins the next story of deception and rivalry and jealousy. Well then, you know the story. Jacob gets sent off to find a wife. And he goes and he's sent to his uncle Laban's hometown to find, and he's there and he's at the well. And who comes to the well? Rachel. Rachel comes to the well and he, Jacob, kaboom! The tree falls in the forest. And he is desperately in love. So he goes to Laban. He says, Laban, love your daughter. You know, and, and well, well Laban, Laban comes to him and says, you're now part of the family and we're going to, we're not going to, I'm just not going to use, I, I want to compensate you. What would compensate you? He says, well, I love your daughter. Rachel Laban says, well, you work seven years and she's yours. And I love what the Bible says then. It says that the years for Jacob, and he worked hard, but he worked hard for seven years, but he said, it says in the Bible, because of his love for Rachel, it just felt like a few days. <laughs> this is a boy that's smitten, okay? <laughs> Guys, you know what it's like, right? When you're in love. Like, you'll drive from, like, Minnesota and New York to meet for lunch. Have you ever heard this story? <laughs> Literally. Ben drove from here and Hannah drove from New York to meet for lunch halfway and drove home when they were courting. I mean, and it just felt like a few moments of driving. Well, Laban, continuing our, you know, deceit and deception motif, is he's got an older daughter, Leah, and he, so when the bridal night comes and, 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 and Isaac, I mean, when Jacob comes to, to the bridal chamber, he wakes up in the morning and realizes that he hasn't been with Rachel, but he's with Leah. And he goes to Laban and says, what have you done? He says, well, I can't marry off my second daughter before I've married off my first. But if you'd like to still have Rachel, I'll give her to you too. You just need to work another seven years. So a week later, he marries Rachel and for seven years works for Laban. Now, Leah starts having children. She has a boy. Her first boy is Reuben, then Simeon, then Levi, and then Judah. So she has four sons, and Rachel's like, God, what about me? 
is Rachel has no children. So Rachel is deeply distressed and she's greatly envious of Leah. Because Leah's having these kids and Rachel isn't. And so she, she gives to Jacob, she gives to, to Jacob her, her maid, her close maid Bil, Bilhah. And Bilhah gives birth to two children, Dan and Naphtali. And in the meantime, Leah has stopped having children. And Leah realizes, now the, now the race is on. Okay? He who with the most boys wins. All right? And so Leah says, I'm going to give to Jacob my maid servant, Zilpah. And Zilpah comes to Jacob and has the next two boys, Gad and Asher. And then Leah's womb is opened again, and she gives birth to Issachar and Zebulon, as well as Dinah. There's a girl mixed in with the group, okay? But Rachel is still deeply wounded because she's not been able to this time to have a child. But then, and we get the story in Genesis 30, her son, whose name is? Joseph is born. And then, some years later, her final son, whose name is Benjamin, is born, and she dies in childbirth. And Joseph grows up, and the story continues. Because what do we have in Genesis 37? We have Joseph and his brothers, 12 of them, and Joseph starts to have some dreams. And the dreams are all about his brothers who are serving and bowing down to him. And the brothers all say, oh, that's so cool, Joseph. We love your dreams, right? Is that what they say? And say, dreamer, we'll take care of the dreamer. And thus unfolds the next part of the story of Joseph's life. His eventual, they try, well, they're going to kill him, but then they don't kill him, and then they sold him into slavery, and on and on the story goes. I tell you that story this morning to help us enter into what we're going to be looking at this morning as we continue in our series entitled Takeoff, out of Hebrews chapter 12. Take off and run for your life. As it says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let us throw off everything, every weight that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ben did a wonderful job of helping us 
understand the dynamics and the necessity of taking off the weight, the sin of pride. Pride really says, I'm at the center and it's all about me. Okay? Because secretly, most of us, in the deepest of our heart, we really do think that it's about us. The whole universe sort of revolves around us. And the antidote to that pride is, of course, humility, which is the grace of self-forgetfulness. It's not just thinking less of yourself, but it's rather thinking less about yourself. Humility is not worm, like, I'm so low, I'm so nothing, I'm, you know, whatever. But it's simply the grace of self-forgetfulness. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Pastor Ben had a wonderful uh, series of things that helped us kind of do some inventory on pride and humility and brokenness and from, from one of his professors from Bible college, and it's, it's back uh, produced for you on the back table if you want to get a hold of it, and if you just want to allow the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of conviction to come, that'll be really helpful for you, okay? Honestly, it's a great, great list of helping to kind of frame that in our heart and mind. The second weight, the second sin that, that we are, uh, I'm sorry, first of all, Luke 9, 23 to 25. Then he said to them all, and here's, here's a scripture to encapsulate this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. And Jesus was saying this even before he'd actually gone to the cross, but he's speaking to them saying, if you want to follow me, here's the way. Here's what you need to do to run with me. Here's what it means to fix your eyes on me. The second is what we looked at last week, avarice. Do you remember the story we told last week? What was the story about last week? Eustace. From the Chronicles of Narnia, you remember the story of Eustace who lays down on the, on the gold and becomes a dragon. And then Aslan comes along and he's, he, he, he becomes very um, aware of his, 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 you know, his, the bondage that he's in and the, the dragon skin and he wants to be free and he, and he tries to, to peel off his skin and he peels off the dragon skin and finds out there's another dragon skin underneath and he peels that off and finds out there's another dragon skin underneath that and finally Aslan says, you're going to have to let me undress you. And Aslan takes his claw and peels back all the layers and sets Eustace free to be a boy again. Avarice can encapsulate our heart and give us this thick skin. And it, it, it comes from life. The, the, you know, the, the way to uh, define avarice here is life comes from possessing more things. So the more I have and the more I keep, the more life I will experience. That's the, the lie, the deception that avarice gives to us. But the antidote is that of simplicity. And, and, and um, Chris put it so beautifully this morning, the grace of contentment recognizing that life comes not from possessing more, but rather being possessed more by God, the true giver and sustainer of life. That's why Jesus says 
in Matthew 6, he says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Get that. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The two are antithetical to one another. Money is a power. Avarice is a power. In our culture, it is a huge power. It's a huge giant. We need one another. We need each other to help us break through that. And we need Aslan, we need Jesus to take the sharp, double-edged sword and pierce our soul and break us open. To give us that spirit of simplicity, that spirit of contentment and generosity of spirit. All right. So this morning, we're looking at the weight of envy. The weight of envy. It's interesting in the Ten Commandments, and this is closely connected to the last one of avarice or covetousness. In the Ten Commandments, of course, again, four have to do with our relationship with God. Six of them have to do with our relationships with others. And specifically, most of those have to do with um, specific actions, like do not murder, do not steal, do not lie. But this area of covetousness and envy is not only... I mean, there's an external fruit to it, but it grows out of an internal attitude. And that's why it's sometimes even hard for us to get a handle around it, and we need the Spirit of the Lord to bring revelation. In fact, I want to pray for this, us this morning, for myself as well. And even as I was preparing for this message, the Lord was showing me some very specific places in my heart where I have to bring before him and receive release in this area from envy. So Jesus, I stand before you this morning as your child whom you love and you love so much you don't want to leave me the way I am. And I know for your children here, for each of us, Lord, that you love us so much you don't want to leave us the way we are. And so Jesus, simply words cannot do this, Lord. It can only be through the living, active, double-edged sword of the Spirit piercing through our souls. So come, Lord, and I pray that you would go through even defenses that we might have this morning in our own minds or hearts, Lord. I pray that you'd break through any kind of lethargy or complacency or, or just weariness or, or whatever it would be that would keep us or, or just defenses, whatever those defenses are, whatever the hindrances would be, Lord, would you remove the veil that blinds the eyes of the unbelieving, and Lord, would you penetrate with your light and truth today deep into our soul, Lord, so that we might walk out of this place freer than we walked in, fuller of your life and joy, Lord, to outpour into the nations around us. We bless, Lord, your word now. Speak again to us even more deeply, we pray. In the name of the Lord, all God's people again said, Amen. Envy is not the same as aspiration. Aspiration looks up and says, I aspire to be up there too. That aspiration is a good thing. It's good to look up to mentors, to people who are further along than we are, people who may be uh, more skilled or more developed in certain areas and, and growth, and it's good to aspire to something higher than we are. What envy looks up and says, 
I want you to be below me. It doesn't look up and say, I'm so grateful you're there. I'm working towards that. It says, I want to pull you down. St. Thomas Aquinas defines it as envy is sorrow at another's good. Now, if we're honest with each other, there are times where we, I, mean, I believe if we're really honest with ourselves, all of us, maybe it's in your job, maybe it's at school, maybe it's in your neighborhood, maybe it's another place, but, but somewhere, sometime, you've looked upon a situation or a circumstance or another person and there has been envy in your heart. Is that true? I don't think, I mean, I know you're all more spiritual than I am, but I think all of us have struggled at one time or another with envy. Okay? That's why I told the story about Leah and Rachel and all of the story. Because it's a story of continuous envy that comes down and it's passed down even generationally. James 3 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if, say if, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it, nor deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. James is so practical. The Bible's so real. I told you that before. It's real. It's real about the stories that are told, and it's real about the antidote and the things that need to be done. So let me quickly unpack just a little bit more about envy. Let's look at what are some of the symptoms of envy. What are some of the symptoms of envy? How can you recognize envy in your heart? How can I recognize it in my heart? And even as I went through this, I went, okay. First of all, resentment. The book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. How do you like them apples? Envy rots the bones. Now that is a very powerful picture, which is actually literally true. Resentment will shorten your life. Resentment will literally rob you of physical, emotional, spiritual health. You see, envy is the antithesis of joy. Rather than seeing the glass half filled, it only can see it half empty. And envies those whose glass is or appears to be fuller, which results in ingratitude, bitterness, and resentment. The story is played out in families all over the world, all through the generations. Envy is a, a deeply disturbing, deeply, um, a, a, a deeply embittering 
uh, spirit which poisons our very bones. If you're struggling with resentment, it may be a symptom of the root of envy in your life. Secondly, unhealthy ambition. Unhealthy ambition. As it says in Ecclesiastes 4.4, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Wow, we live in a society. Again, we're kind of taking on giants here, people. We're taking on a giant in society that says, again, that, that competitiveness, which is the one with the most toys, wins. And there's a constant desire for more. See, what ambition does is it's, it's often veiled, envy is often veiled behind competitiveness. It views the world through the fixed pie mentality which says the more you have, the less I have. So envy is not about adding or multiplying benefit, but it's about dividing and subtracting. I can't be pleased with your success because if you're more successful, that must mean that I'm less successful. But that is a lie. It's a lie. We don't have to take any concern about another person's success, whether it be material or emotional or spiritual or whatever. All of those things. You see, again, where envy destroys joy is, you know, with biblically, joys shared are joy multiplied. Sorrows shared are sorrows divided, but envy turns it upside down and says joy is halved and sorrow is expanded, envy turns it all upside down. Do you get that? Am I making sense? It's this fixed pie mentality in our mind. It's a mindset. All right. Third, conflict. We see this in the story I just told you out of Genesis. Galatians 9. Listen to this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Okay, yep. Check, check, check. Idolatry, witchcraft. Check, check. Hatred, discord. Oh, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. It's in the list. I believe that the envy is connected. It comes kind of at the end of that whole list of hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy is kind of the root out of which all of those other things are springing, and then drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Ludovic shared with us out of Romans 13 today, a very similar place where Paul speaks of these things. Listen, envy inevitably produces hatred, dissension, and conflict. It produces nothing but pain and sorrow for both the individuals themselves and those who live, work, and interact with them. In Matthew 27, it says a pilot, it says that for he knew it was out of envy that they handed over Jesus to him. I mean, that's the reason Jesus went to the cross because of the envy of the spiritual leaders who didn't simply want to have what Jesus had, the love and adoration and the power of all of the people. They didn't want Him to have what He had. The powers couldn't stand Jesus in who He was. So they had to destroy Him. That's what envy does. That's why it's so deadly. 
within our lives. And envy is just, it's a horrible thing. It's a pernicious sin which gets into the roots of our, and we don't even sometimes recognize that we have, and then the Lord, that's where we need the Lord to come in and to begin to bring revelation so that he can bring freedom. Because otherwise we'll end up in resentment and unhealthy ambition and conflict. However, there is an antidote. How do we take off envy? We, in all of these, we must come with the opposite spirit. So what's the opposite spirit here look like? Well, I'm glad you asked, and that's what we're going to be closing with here. Three things that connect to the three things that we just talked about. Resentment, unhealthy ambition, and conflict. The first, to counteract resentment, choose gratitude. Choose gratitude. It's the most powerful. In fact, this is sort of the, the root of it, all of the things that we're talking about. I, I, if, if I'm gonna, next week, if I put up you know, the one antidote like we did, pride is humility and avarice is simplicity. If I were going to put one thing up there to counteract envy, I would say it's gratitude. It's gratitude. Therefore, rid yourself, First Peter says, of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is what? Good. You've tasted that the Lord is good. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Here's the deal. Gratitude is the seedbed of joy that has been sown with God's grace. Gratitude is the seedbed of joy. You want more joy in your life? Try choosing gratitude. Start thanking. I read a book this winter. I was on retreat, and it's called 1,000 Gifts. It's just this incredible book. It's one of the best books I've read in years. Powerful, powerful book about this discipline of choosing gratitude. Powerful discipline. See, when we recognize God's goodness, we begin to see the half-empty glass is half-full, and we're emptied of resentment, and we get filled with gratitude. Choose gratitude. All right, second. Create community. If you want, you know what the best way to begin to break down Unhealthy ambition is to begin to create community. If you are finding yourself feeling competitive towards somebody, why don't you start getting to know them? Getting to know their heart. Create community. Love must be sincere, Romans 12. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. There's that joy multiplied and sorrow halved. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. We are called to loving interdependence. We're invited to be with one another, not against one another. 
I love this quote from Henrietta Mears. She was a great woman of God who, uh, yeah, did fabulous ministry stuff. She said, the man who keeps busy helping the man below him won't have time to envy the man above him, and there may not be anybody above him anyway. There's always room at the bottom, people. We live in a society where getting ahead means stepping on other people on the ladder to success and pushing them down. But in the kingdom of God, we're always about empowering and blessing and lifting up others. And the more you do that, the more you will experience true joy and true community, and the greater will be your fulfillment in life and joy. Honestly. You want to start, quote, getting ahead at work? Look for ways to bless and help others to get further on. Come alongside of them and lift them up. You don't have to push somebody else down to get up higher. Hello? Choose community. Create community. Begin to love your coworkers. Love those others in school. Love, you know. Lift them up. Lift them up. I don't know about you. I, I mean, I've been in, you know, lots of different work cultures, and a lot of it is about tearing each other down. Anybody get tired of that game? Wow, that gets old. How much better if you can be a person who lifts up and helps create community? Thirdly, finally, last slide, so peace. So peace. The antidote to resentment is gratitude. The antidote to unhealthy ambition is to create community. The antidote to conflict is to sow peace. We read earlier from James 3, 13 to 16, that goes on, James goes on in verse 17 and 18 to say, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers, who sow in peace, reap a harvest of what? Righteousness. Peacemakers, not peacekeepers, but peacemakers. Filled with the wisdom of God. I love this, this picture is so important to me. Live with an open hand, not a clenched fist. Live with an open hand, not a clenched fist. As it says in Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace. You and I can choose these antidotes to envy. And again, I want to encourage us to allow the Lord to, to penetrate into our lives. He, he really, he's, you know, and, and Pastor Ben mentioned this uh, the other day as he was preparing, it, it, when, when the Lord puts a, a, a message in our hearts, he works it in us first. <laughs> so I want you to know that the sword of the Spirit has been piercing my own heart in each of these areas. And I want to invite us as a congregation, why? Why is this important? Why do we, why do we want to do this? Why are we doing this sermon series? Because it's a year to engage. And God has called us and he sent us and he's equipped us to go, but we need to come out from under any of those entanglements of sin and weight so that we can run with freedom the race that has been marked out 
before us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, take it off, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Ah, can we stand together? Jesus, I want to pray for us as a people here in this house. Lord, you have given us a particular race to run as Bethel Christian Fellowship and as the Bethel family of churches. Lord, we desire that you would continue to help us to throw off any and everything that would hinder every and anything that, Lord Jesus, would um, entangle us, Lord God. And today, Lord, as we have received your word about envy, God, I pray that you would again, I'm asking you again to penetrate our hearts and to cut free from any place in us where that entanglement would be. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon us. You say if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus, I confess before you that I have held envy in my heart. And Jesus, you know the specific places, Lord, that you have brought revelation of that. And Jesus, I ask now for your forgiveness and I pray that you would heal me in my heart. And Lord Jesus, as I open that door in my own heart, I pray that you would open that door in the hearts of my brothers and sisters here. That together we would not deny the truth. That we would not boast, even, Lord, (laughs) more heinous, Lord, we would not boast about our envy. But God, we come before you in humility and pray, God, that you would heal us today. Have mercy, God. We humble ourselves before you, Jesus. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you might lift us up. Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy, God. Heal us. Free us. ask the worship team to lead us in a song that, actually it'll be a couple songs, I'll give a benediction after the first song, but that, that are about gratitude. I'm just going to open up the altar if you want to come and just declare your gratitude this morning, you can do so if you just, if there's something the Lord's been working in your heart around this, you feel free to step out. I will give a benediction as soon as this song, if we could stay together until we've sung this song together in response to the word. With hands open, receive the benediction today. Jesus, we acknowledge your great goodness today. (laughs) We reject the lie of the enemy. Because envy was the thing that brought Satan's downfall. Because he wanted not only to be like God, but he wanted God not to be God. So that he could be. And it's that very envy that came into the fall. 
but we reject the lie of the enemy that says that you are not good. Because Lord, we know that you are. You are very good. You are always good. And we bless you in your goodness. And now this day again, I pray afresh that you would fill each and every one here with the overwhelming, immeasurable love of God the Father. The irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son. The inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit will be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of His goodness and favor over your life. Until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you, people of God here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. May His love and mercy chase you down this day and every day until he comes in Jesus' name. Amen.